This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Church, you are in for a treat this morning. We have a very special guest speaker with us today. I'm going to tell you more about him in just a moment. But before we do that, we're doing something else that's very special this morning. And we are planting some people in the house of the Lord this morning. Yes. So if you are one of the people that is being planted this morning, would you go ahead and start making your way down here. And for those of you who are maybe new, you don't really know what exactly we're talking about here. Sarah, help us understand. Yes. These are people who are, um, who are deciding to become members of New Song Church, like making it official today. And um, we believe that church membership is vital, um, that it is one of the greatest honors that can come our way in this world, um, is to be members of the body of Christ, Christ himself, that it's in the church where we get to live out the body principles that we find in Corinthians. And uh, so we are excited. This is more than, um, uh, membership is more than like a card you carry, right? To Costco and gets you in the door. Like this is, this is more than just carrying around a little card that says, I'm a member of New Song Church. This is a, a declaration that you have made a decision to become a part of the universal body of Christ and that you've committed uh, yourself to a local body here, New Song Church, where you can live out those principles. And so we're pumped about this. Um, if you want to be, uh, become a member of New Song Church, um, there's classes that you watch online. And guess what? We have brand new classes. You have to watch them all again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but they are new. And um, I am asking every person who is a member of New Song already to go back and rewatch these because the, the videos that we did in 2018. Um, when we were still a mobile church, like things have changed. Vision has. How many of you know things have changed since 2018? Yeah. <laughs> it's a new world. It's post-COVID. Things have changed, and so um, we are uh, a- a- imploring all of you to go back and rewatch those. There's three videos, about 30 minutes each. Um, so we'll send a link out this week to remind you to go back and watch them. Um, and if you aren't a member, but you want to become a member, uh, you can do that at newsongpeople.com slash next. So look at all these pretty faces up here. Look at these awesome family. Our church is growing. We are better today because of you. And so I'm going to lead you guys in some declarations, some new song covenant declarations. And at the end of each of these statements, I'm going to read, I want you to either say, I have, I will, or I do. And, and since many of you are members already, you can join in with us. This is a great reminder of what we have committed to and what we're committed to as a church. All right. So here's the first one. Have you made an authentic profession of faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say, I have. Will you commit to engage in personal worship, obey the teachings of scripture and regularly fellowship with followers of Jesus? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to protecting the peace and purity of the church by acting in love, promoting unity, refusing to gossip and pursuing biblical reconciliation? If so, say, I will. Will you support the worship and practices of the church by attempting to faithfully pray for and attend the weekend services, partake in communion, and move towards the practice of generosity through regular giving? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to serving in and reinforcing the mission of the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church and the community? If so, say, I will. 
Have you read and understand New Song's statement of beliefs and agree to joyfully support the leadership, vision, mission, and values of New Song Church? If so, say, I have. Do you understand that the above commitments can't be maintained, can't be maintained without relying on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and without certain commitments on your part? If so, say, I do. New Song Church, would you help me welcome the newest members of New Song? And then, would you extend your hand towards them as Sarah leads us in a prayer over each and every one? Yes, this is a liturgy for moving into a new home. Lord, may your spirit inhabit this home, making of it a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together, where bonds of love are strengthened, where mercy is learned and practiced. May this our church home. May it be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which we journey forth to do your work and your world. May it be a garden of nourishment in which our roots go deep that we might bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this, our church home, may it be a place of knowing and of being known, a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and easily granted and wounds are quickly healed, a place of meaningful conversation, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting, a place where our diverse gifts are named and appreciated, where we learn to serve one another and to serve our neighbors well, a place where our stories and our, our stories are forever twined by true affections. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. I think you guys are going to follow Courtney right over here. She's going to take you outside and we're going to uh, take up some snakes and handle those now. No, I'm totally kidding, totally kidding, totally kidding. Grateful that you're here with us. Good to have you. Everybody good? You guys good? Hey, would you help me welcome everybody that's watching online right now with us? So it's a, it's a special day today. We have uh, a pastor with us that I have been following for many years, Pastor Bayless Conley. He is the founding pastor of Cottonwood Church in Southern California and uh, just a great, incredible man of God. In fact, I would encourage you this week to check out, go to YouTube, look up uh, Bayless Conley. You'll find these, these videos he's done called Answers by Bayless Conley, which are messages he's done. His ministry has gone all over the world and it's been translated in many different languages and he's just an incredible, incredible man of God. And I believe uh, that there's an impartation that's gonna take place today, that, that there's something God has for you. In fact, we were, after he preached last night, me and Sarah were back in, in the green room and, and she said, she made the statement, I totally agree with it. She said, I think that's one of my favorite new song services ever. And so I'm telling you, get your expectation up. I believe God is gonna speak to you today. And so let's take a moment before we honor him as he comes up and let's just prepare our hearts for the word of God. Would you, would you stick your hands out in front of you? I wanna pray for you. Lord, we just thank you uh, for the gift of Pastor Bayless. Thank you for him being here, being away from his church, being away from some of the members of his family. Thank you for the gift that he brings into this house. And we thank you for the gift of the word of God. We see it as a gift to us. And we freely want to receive of what you have made possible for us today. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself in this service. So we don't wanna just walk away having heard some cool songs and heard a good talk. We want an encounter with the living 
Jesus, Lord. So I thank you that you make this word personal to every person in here today, Lord. I thank you that you change what needs to be changed. You, you reshape what needs to be reshaped in us. Lord, that we would walk out of here looking more like Jesus than how we came in today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. New song, would you help me welcome Pastor Bayless Conley as he comes up? Thank you. Thank you, thank you Pastor Josh. Appreciate it. It's really good to be here with you. And uh, I'm delighted to have my wife with me. She doesn't always get to travel when I go somewhere. Sweetheart, stand up just for a minute. This is Janet. Yeah, I have to confess, I'm still in love with my first wife. We've been at it for 41 years. It's a good thing. I loved the fact that they had all the new members come up here. You know, it's a marvelous thing to commit. And I realize there's probably people watching online or sitting here, you've been hurt and have a bit of trepidation when it comes to going all in because you don't want it to happen to you again. Well, it is part of life. Um, the church became un imperfect when you walked in. It really became imperfect when I walked in. And uh, I, I loved, <clears throat> of all the things there, I, I think what I loved the most was the statement that was read it's a place where forgiveness is easily asked and easily granted. What a wonderful thing the church is, the body of Christ. Jesus really does change us. Um, I love this series that you guys are doing here from John's Gospel. He only records a handful of miracles. And the ones that he chose to record, he does for a specific reason. He tells us in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he said, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So that the handful of miracles that John records, he calls them signs. Signs are miracles that teach a lesson. They're, they're miracles that point to a greater truth. They reveal the, the glory and the person of Jesus. And his purpose was that as we think about them, as we reflect on them, that it actually reveals, you know, deeper spiritual truths than, than the miracle itself. And uh, I'd like to read to you this story and follow along if you've got your Bible or your electronic devices from John chapter 4 beginning in verse 45, and we're just going to read 10 verses here. It begins like this. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. 
So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, Cana was where Jesus turned the water into wine. The Bible says that was his very first miracle. So apparently lightning does strike twice in the same place. And John intends to connect these two miracles in Cana, maybe for chronological reasons, but perhaps for something deeper than that. The first miracle took place at a wedding, a scene of rural festivity and gladness. But you know, life has deeper things in it than gladness. The second miracle takes place and deals with the darker side of human experience. We move from the scene of celebration in Cana to a scene of anxiety and sorrow. From the blessing of a young couple at their wedding to answering the plea of a distressed parent about to lose a son due to a terrible sickness. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is the answer for all of life's seasons. You need to come to him with your joys and come to him with your sorrows. And whatever season, whatever difficulty or, or maybe season of momentum you're in right now, Jesus needs to be the center of it. And he has something for you. So let's, let's talk about the background of this miracle a little bit. Jesus comes into Cana again, and no doubt, you know, the, the place is absolutely buzzing. The village would have received him gladly. Think about the servants that were there you know, that actually were participants in that miracle when the water turned to wine. They would have never ceased to tell that story again and again from household to household. I mean, just imagine it. They're saying, man, it was so embarrassing. That poor couple ran out of wine and they didn't know what to do. And then this lady comes up to us. She gathers the servants. She looks us in the eye points at this man, says, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. And there was something about this lady, we just didn't want to argue with her. I think her name was Mary. Anyway, her son comes over and tells us to fill the water pots with water. So we do, we have no clue what's happening next. And then he says to take the water to the governor of the feast. We're supposed to pretend that it's turned into wine. We're going to lose our jobs if we do this. But there was something, you think, think his mother, you know, had this fierceness about her. There was something about him that there's no way we'd argue with someone with a face like that. And, and his words, I can't explain it, but I just almost felt carried along. We take 60 gallons of water to the governor of the feast, dip out. We're thinking, okay, he's going to say you're fired. And all of a sudden, he says, this is the best wine I've ever had. This is amazing. And we looked in our pots, every one of them had turned to wine. And one of the guys says, yeah, and I, I snuck some. It was amazing. <laughs> and they would tell the story again and again. And when people talk like that, it travels far and wide. And in this case, news of that miracle and the other things Jesus had done at the feast reached Capernaum, 25 miles away. Some people would have laughed, some would have scoffed, but others would have deeply thought about these things and 
It reached Herod's court, Herod Antipas, who shortly is going to murder John the Baptist. And there was a nobleman, literally means a king's man, a man serving Herod in his court. And the news came to him and he pondered deeply on this story and on the other accounts until at last in the most unusual of places, this heart began to clamor upward into the first glimmer of faith. My friend, don't write people off. God's word has no barriers and it can reach into the, the seats of power of this world. And there are people in places you would never suspect it, that they're hungering after God. I was in the office one day many years ago and the secretary came and said, Pastor, there's a, a businessman here. He says he has to talk to you. I said, okay. Have him come in. This, this Indian gentleman, he is dressed immaculately in this beautiful suit. Every hair is in place. Sits down next to me or actually across the desk and in a very thick Indian accent, he says, I want to know the God. I said, excuse me? He said, I want to know the God. And he pulls out a newspaper. It's a local paper that sometime before had written a, an, a human interest story on me. And the headline said, from drug user to soul saver. And uh, I shared my conversion experience in that. And he said, I want to know the God. And he, he tells me that he went to the newspaper. He says, you guys wrote about God. I want to know the God. Tell me about the God. And the paper said, we can't help you. We just wrote the article. He says, the guy's church that we wrote it about, it's not too far from here. So he gets in his car, drives to the church, and now he's sitting across my desk, this very wealthy businessman saying, I want to know the God. I said, okay, share the gospel with him. I said, you want to pray? You believe Jesus is the son of God? You want to accept him in your life? He said, yes. We held hands and prayed across the desk. He looks at me and says, now I am your disciple. <laughs> I said, well, you know what? I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. I'll be your pastor. And you come to church and we're going to help you grow. But you, you just wouldn't have suspected. And there are people that, that, that sit in some of the most prominent positions in the land and they're hungering for God. They're looking for answers, things that all of their wealth, all of their success, all of the things this world has to offer has not brought to them. And we have a mandate to reach them just like we do the common man. And think about this guy. Someone had to tell him. He heard the story from someone. Someone opened up their mouth and told him. You think about Naaman the Syrian, a famous general in the Syrian army. He's wealthy, he's powerful, but he has leprosy. And a serving girl, she was a slave, told him about the God of Israel and a prophet of the God of Israel. Naaman ends up getting healed and anchoring his trust in the God of Israel. The woman with the issue of blood, when she heard about Jesus, she came. Somebody had to tell the story. And friends, some may mock, some may laugh, but some will grab on to the message. But we have to tell them. And you know, yeah, sometimes it's going to be socially awkward. So what? Sometimes you're not going to have, you feel like you don't have the right words to say. So what? God delights in using foolish things. Someone has to be a carrier of the message. 
I want you to think about it. When he heard, it says he came, he acted. Faith is expressed through corresponding actions. James says faith without action is dead being alone. He sought Jesus out. He came 25 miles to find Jesus. Now you'd think perhaps his, his position could have warranted him demanding Jesus to come and appear before him. But instead, he humbled himself and went and appeared before Jesus. We must empty ourselves and humble ourselves to come to the Lord. You come to God full of yourself, you will be turned away empty. Now, though this man was expressing faith, it was an immature faith. He thought that Jesus had to be there in order for his son to be healed. He limited Jesus' power to Jesus' physical presence, and that's where many are today, especially when it comes to you know, things that happen in the arena of healing. They may hear about something and they think, oh, I've got to get to where the evangelist is. I need to be in those meetings. I have to have him lay hands on me. And it's a faith, but it's a faith not yet mature. And some people travel great distances. I mean, you know, Pastor Joss mentioned that we do a lot of things internationally. We, we do. In like 11 different languages around the world, we get on secular television stations in, in a lot of countries. We had a lady show up the other day, just walked into the office. She flew from Switzerland to find me because she saw a TV program. She didn't have to pay for a plane ticket and fly from Switzerland and I happened to be gone. I wasn't even there. But, but people get this idea that I, I have to get there. And Jesus is about to tell him and teach him a lesson that is so important. And it's this, that his word is enough. His word is all that we must require. Now, Jesus put this guy into the category of all those that say, well, I, I need to have a sign, I need to have a feeling, and then I'll believe. The people that are looking for, for some outward thing to happen to create faith. He said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The people that cry, well, seeing is believing. When I see it, I'll believe it. No, the Bible says believing is being confident of what we do not see. Faith has to do with unseen realities. And while Jesus condemned this attitude that, that so permeated the crowds of his day, at the same time, he gave this man an opportunity to rise to a higher level of faith. He said, go your way, your son lives. No other evidence. I'm not giving you a feeling. I'm not giving you a sign. You just need to trust my word and you need to go. And the man went believing what Jesus said. That's a more grounded faith. The Message Bible puts it this way. The man believed the bare word of Jesus. The bare word that Jesus spoke and he went home. We need to take the bare word of Jesus. You know, our oldest son Harrison is 39. He's the lead pastor of, of Cottonwood Church, our church. And uh, when he was a little boy, probably four, he was playing in the backyard. I was around the side of the house and I heard him cry out. And it's one of those cries that every parent does not want to hear. I know when the boys have been fighting and there's somebody's, you know, uh, 
gotten hurt and they're crying. I know when something happens, but this was a cry that said, I am in trouble. Man, I don't remember what I was doing, but I dropped it. I went running as hard as I could around the side of the house, came into the backyard. We have this huge jacaranda tree. He's climbed up in the tree and he slipped. And he's hanging to a branch with both hands and he's crying because he's afraid he's gonna fall and get really hurt. He, he's got his face pinned to the tree and he's hanging there. And I go, Harrison, he goes, dad, help. He doesn't realize it. He thinks he's way up in the tree, but he's this far off the ground. <laughs> but he honestly, in his little mind, he's way up in the tree. And I kind of chuckled. I said, okay, son, I'm gonna help you. He says, oh, dad, quick, quick, I can't hold on. I said, okay, son, let go. No, and he's hanging on, daddy, please, please help me. I said, son, I will. Do you trust me? Yes, all right. Let go. No, dad, please. I said, Harrison, do you trust me? Yes. I said, take me at my word. Let go. Okay. And then, <laughs> and he starts laughing and I'm laughing. And you know, you just need to take God at his word. Take it his word. I mean, some of you, you're hanging on to the tide that way. And God's saying, look, let go and I'll open the windows of heaven. No! Trust him. His word is enough. And then here's just a few other thoughts. The nobleman said to Jesus, come. But Jesus said, no, you go. Your answer may not come the way that you plan. You can't put God in a box and say, do it this way or not at all. Our part is to believe the promise, fulfill any necessary conditions, and then let God answer that in his timing and in his way. You just can't put him in a box. I remember talking to a girl one time I knew. She lived in my apartment complex. And she was a believer and was, was expressing to me a financial need she had. And she says, I've been praying. And she was a bit stressed. And as she's telling me, I'm thinking, you know, I actually have the amount of money she needs. And it may not seem like a lot now, but it was a lot back then, probably like 120 bucks. We're talking 40 something years ago, 42, 43 years ago. And uh, so I, I left, went down and I, I grabbed the cash and I came back, knocked on her apartment door. I said, here, she said, what's that? I said, well, you said you, you needed this much money and here you go. She said, I can't take that. I said, why? She said, because you knew she said, I'm trusting God. Oh my God. <laughs> I said, wait, wait, all right, it's time out. So you've asked God to, to answer the prayer, but he's not allowed to do it through someone that knows about your need. She says, well, yeah, I guess. I said, wait, 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 you can't put God in a box like that. that. This may be the only answer he's gonna bring to you. What if you say no? She says, well, if you put it that way, I said, well, I do. And then she, you know, she gladly received the money. But you, you just can't put God in a box. Yes. Now, this guy leaves and he's got his 25 mile journey, a full day's journey. And you know, his mind didn't work any differently than yours or than mine. As he's alone with his thoughts, walking 
that full day back to where his son was dying, I know doubts assailed his mind. He said, your son's already dead and you weren't even there. You couldn't even say goodbye. You made a mistake. Jesus does need to be there. You didn't have a feeling, did you? If something would have happened, you would have had a feeling. You better prepare for a funeral because your son's gone. Oh, the only comfort he had was the promise of Jesus. As he walked that lonely road, those words Jesus spoke, your son lives. That was the only thing he had to cling to. And there was something about it. He's thinking, I don't understand why, but I believe this man. He said, my son will live. Your son lives. Your son lives. And he would have gone over that and over that. Thought about the inflection of Jesus' voice. Thought about the look in his eye. And thought about those words over and over and over again. Like Abraham of old, the Bible says in the book of Romans that Abraham grew strong in faith while looking to the promise of God. We must stay occupied with the promise while traveling the road of faith. Friend, faith is created and it is sustained through the promise. And the nobleman learned an important lesson that the word of Christ is as good as the presence of Christ. And you know, when those guys met him on the road, he inquired of them when he got better. They said the seventh hour, the fever left him. I like the old King James version. It says he inquired about when his son began to amend. Indicating that his healing was a process. It was an instant. When did he start to get better? Well, the fever broke at this time, but as far as the recovery of full strength and being back 100%, he wasn't yet there yet, but the process had begun. Friend, not all healing is instant. In fact, I'm convinced that the majority of the time it is a process. The lepers were healed as they went. It took three days for Hezekiah's healing to take place. The book of Mark says in Mark 16, believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The language denotes a progression, a process. And honestly, I think it's probably better when it is a process than when it happens instantaneously. Because during the process, we search our hearts. During the process, we, we make things right. We strip away unnecessary things from our lives. We pray. We make relationships right. We make sure there's, there's not any dirt on our soul. Like, God, I don't, I don't want anything between you and me. And during that process, as we seek and we search things out, something even more important, perhaps, in the outward healing or the outward thing we've prayed for takes place within our own hearts. You know, there was a guy that was a part of our team, had a significant role in the church without getting into detail. He just one day, he quit and he left the wrong way. And at a really inopportune time, he, we had to scramble to cover for him. It was right before a huge event and, and he just left. Well, you know, couldn't stop him. He's free to do it, but it, it hurt us and it took us a while to recover. Anyway, I didn't see the guy for many years. And then one day he calls me, he says, Bayless, can I come visit you? I said, sure. So he comes and sits down on the couch and we're, we're talking and he said, look, you know, when I left all those years ago, I left the wrong way and I came to apologize. I said, well, not a worry. I said, I forgave you back then. He says, well, I just, I needed to do it. And 
Honestly, some things got stuck in my craw and I realized I wasn't right and, and I've been bitter. And I've, I've gotten it right with God, but I need to ask you to forgive me for that. I said, well, I didn't know anything about it, but of course, certainly. I said, why? I said, why now? He said, well, I got diagnosed with cancer. He said, and I realized I had stuff in my heart against people and there were things that I hadn't made right and I've gone to every person that I have wronged and every relationship that, that, that had gone sideways and I've asked for forgiveness and I'm just doing my best to have a clean heart before God. Smart man. And he did get healed, by the way. So this man believes and his encounter with Jesus and the subsequent miracle brought to him by the word of Jesus, it brought both him and his family to faith in Christ. All of them, the servants, everyone anchored their trust in the Messiah. Think about the mother of the little boy that was there when suddenly the fever broke and she knew her boy was gonna be okay. Think about the boy who was touched by the power of God. The servants, they all came to trust in Jesus. But let's just back up for a minute and ask ourselves, what brought on this encounter with the Savior? What precipitated it? Well, it was a crisis. It was a crisis that occurred. His riches, his resources, his position, his prestige couldn't help him. The finest doctors in the land could not help him. In the midst of all of his splendor and success, you know, surrounded by colored tapestries and all the gold ornamentation of the king's court came the delirious cries of a boy burning with fever. And this man in the middle of the crisis began to seek, seek and to search for God, to look for answers. And news came to him about Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And you might be asking, are, are you saying that God sent the sickness? No. Never. Jesus bore the stripes on his back to pay for our healing. God will never tempt you with anything that Christ died to redeem you from. So certainly God didn't send that trouble, but he did work in it. And the truth is, some people will never look to God until they're tossed to and fro by the waves of a storm. King David put it this way, Psalm 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your words. We all know Psalm 107, 20, or most of us have heard it, God sent his word and healed us. If you back up, you get the context. In verse 17, Psalm 107, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And that's really the key, receiving his word, embracing his word in the middle of the crisis. David also said in that same Psalm, Psalm or rather Psalm 119, he said, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So he sends his word, but it must be embraced and it must be acted upon. You know, I look at my own life, I was in such a mess. I was in such a dark hole when I finally, you know, found out about Jesus. I'd never heard the gospel till I was in my 20s. And I, I, I was looking for truth, but in all the wrong places. And 
I'd been an alcoholic for many years. In fact, at that time, I'd been on a four-year drunk, hadn't been sober in four years. I had a major league problem with substance abuse. And I knew that the devil was real long before I knew God was real. I wasn't sure about God, but I knew that demons were real because of the stuff that I'd been involved in. I had experienced demon powers. I live with a constant dread and fear of the devil. I knew he was real. And from that dark place, I looked up and God sent me a 12-year-old boy. He was the first one to ever share the gospel with me. I was in my 20s. And I'd never heard that Jesus Christ was alive until a 12-year-old kid came up to me in a park one day. But the thing that drove me to that point of desperation where I was willing to look anywhere happened to be a crisis. Some will spend the vapor of this life surrounded by comfort and the pleasures of this world, blinded to the truth of the gospel, blinded to their own need. They think they need nothing until it's too late. Their lungs will expel that last breath of air. Their heart will beat its final beat in their chest like the final strike of a hammer to an anvil and they will be catapulted into a Christless eternity. Better to have a little trouble and find the Savior or a lot of trouble and find the Savior if that's what it takes. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, but sometimes we're a bit stubborn. Now, it was great that this man's son was healed. And you need to know that the word of Christ can heal you today, just like it healed his son. It can heal your family members today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's as much a healer today as he walked, was when he walked the shores of Galilee. But the greatest miracle was not that this boy's fever broke, but it was that the burning fever of sin was broken over that entire household and they came to put their trust in King Jesus. This king's man came under the authority of another king, came under the authority of the king of the universe. And I just want to talk about that because that is John's reason for recording this. He said, look, that's why this sign's recorded, that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and find life in his name. So let, let's just look real quickly, just four thoughts. First, this man realized that it was a life and death situation with his son. So it is with you, so it is with me. Our eternal souls are at stake. Eternal life is not something to be casual about. It's not something to be trifled with. Don't put it off. If you're here today and you have made your peace with God, don't put it off. You're not promised another day, just like that nobleman's son was not promised another day. Listen, I've done too many funerals, stood over too many graves, counseled and tried to comfort too many grieving families to think otherwise. 90% of the people that checked out of this world checked out long before they thought they would. You know, I, I lived in Oklahoma for a couple of years in the Tulsa area. <clears throat> I was working in a restaurant. Started out as a cocinero, then became a mesero. Started out as a cook, then became a waiter. And the head cook's name was Leo. I'll never forget him. <clears throat> really nice guy. Had migrated here from Mexico. Had wife and family back across the border. He would send part of his paycheck every month to help supplement them. But Leo, he had a girl on the side. He was living with a girl in Tulsa. And she, she was a looker. She'd come in the restaurant sometimes. She was a, a really pretty lady. And I, I witnessed to Leo a lot. 
fact, I, I shared Christ with all of the waiters, with all of the cooks. They all knew Bayless, the religious nut. He's here today. But Leo especially, I talked to him a lot. Back in the kitchen, we'd be cleaning up. The restaurant would be closed down. And i say, Leo, what are you going to do about Jesus? I said, you ready to accept him? He said, no, I'm not ready. And I remember one day, we, we closed up and we're sweet, sweeping the floor. And I go, Leo. And he's standing there with a broom in his hand. I said, you ready to accept Jesus? You know it's true. He said, Bayless, he put his head down and says, I know. I know it's right. And I know what you're saying is true. I know I need to, but I'm just not ready. Well, it was a couple weeks after that, a guy came in to rob the restaurant. I wasn't there. And I don't know everything that went down, exactly how it happened, but he went back in the kitchen and he shot Leo in the chest and killed him. On that same floor that we'd swept the food scraps from, his oil, I mean, his blood just went down like, like the oil we get rid of down that drain. And he stepped into an eternity, irretrievably lost or eternally saved. Did Leo pray? I don't know. I know he had a lot of opportunities to do so. I pled with the guy there in the kitchen. This is a life and death matter. There's nothing more important for us to take care of as human beings. You know, a friend of mine, pastors in Australia, many years ago, he used to do these conferences and he's kind of an out of the box thinker. And there's a, a very prominent atheist in Australia. The, the, when the media wants an atheistic view of things, they interview this guy. So everyone in the country knows this atheist. Very well known, very well spoken. He's, he's actually probably borders on, you know, genius, at least naturally speaking. My friend sought this guy out and became friends with him. And the atheist guy was kind of, you know, tripped out by it. He says, I can't believe that you, this prominent pastor, wants to be my friend. But they became genuine friends. So my friend... He says, look, I've got a big pastor's conference coming up and I want you to be the main speaker. I said, really? He says, yeah, I want you to be the main speaker. He said, what, what could I possibly share with a room full of pastors? He said, I want you to talk about why you won't come to church and why you think most Australians won't come to church. He said, will you do it? He says, okay. So he gets up, room full of pastors. I mean, it is dead silent. They're glaring at him. His opening line is, I feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. <laughs> he said, I've been asked to share why most Australians won't come to church. He said, truth of the matter is we see no passion in the pulpit. And if what you say you believe is true, if there really is heaven, if hell truly exists, and the only way to heaven is to accept Jesus Christ. If he really is the son of God, died on the cross for the sin of the world. And without him, you will spend an eternity in torment. And with him, you'll spend an eternity in heaven. He said, it must be the highest blasphemy before God for you not to be absolutely passionate about your message. He says, we see no passion in the pulpit. I'll tell you what, he, he had those preachers in the palm of his hand. And it's true. There's a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. This is a life and death matter. Second thought, this nobleman did not come and plead for mercy based on his position or his noble birth. 
Everyone is on level ground at the cross. The rich have no advantage over the poor. The mighty have no advantage over the, the weak. We all come on equal ground when it comes to the cross. You know, there was an article some time ago that I read. It was entitled, Rich Door, Poor Door. And it was in New York. They build these big superstructures and they put multi-million dollar apartments in them. But because of the, the city's um, low-income inclusionary laws, they also had to put low-income housing in these same, you know, opulent buildings. And so they did. But, you know, you could buy your $3 million apartment and somebody else has this real low-income apartment in the same building, but they're not allowed, the low-income people can't use the pool. They can't use the gym facilities. In fact, they're not allowed to come in the front entrance. They have to go around to the back to a different entrance. So they called it rich door, poor door. Friend, there's no rich door, there's no poor door when it comes to heaven. The prince and the pauper, they're both on equal ground. Anyone can anchor their trust in the Savior. Here's a third thought. Jesus' rebuke to the man that unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe, that can be applied to salvation as well. You don't need a feeling. You don't need a sign. You can just trust the bare word of Jesus. Jesus said, he that comes to me, I will not turn away. That's enough. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's enough. You don't need anything else. Yet, and this is my final thought, I think that God does give us tokens of his presence and of his concern far more than we perhaps are willing to recognize. God does speak the secret language of your heart. You think about this, this guy, he's on the road and the only comfort he has is the word of Jesus. Your son lives, your son lives, your son lives. Over and over, he's got to be going over that in his mind. And when he reaches the servants and meets them, what do they say? They could have said anything. But they said, your son lives. They quoted the exact words of Jesus. I don't think that was a coincidence. You know, it happens pretty regularly. I have people come up to me at church and they say, hey, um, who told you? I said, who told me what? Who told you what I was talking about before church started? Because you said the very words I said. I said, nobody told me. I remember a guy came one time, I'd never seen him. He says, hey, she told you, didn't she? And I look and there's a girl standing a few paces behind him. I said, what? He said, my girlfriend told you, didn't she? She's been trying to get me to come to church and she told you about me, didn't she? And she told you what we've been talking about. I said, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about. He says, well, you preached on it. You preached all about me today. I said, actually, truth is, I don't think I've ever met your girlfriend before. He was stunned. That happens pretty regular. You know, I, I mentioned about not finding out about Jesus until I was in my 20s. That 12-year-old 12 12-year-old uh, boy had told me about Christ and I didn't get saved right away. I had a lot of questions. I actually moved to Mexico City and was there buying and selling drugs and doing a few other illegal things. And I couldn't stop thinking about that kid and his mother and what they told me about Jesus. And I, one day I just, I told my friend, I said, I'm leaving. And I had everything I thought would have made me happy. We had all the money in the world. We had a lot of girls. We had all the drugs we needed. 
and I was miserable. I was empty. And I drove 3,000 miles. In fact, I went on a beer fast. I bought a case of quarts and would pick up hitchhikers and give them a quart of beer. I, I just drank beer for 3,000 miles and found that, that family and that little boy and began to ask a lot of questions, started to read the Bible. But I had some, what were to me, major unanswered questions. And I tell my friends, I think there's something to this Jesus thing. And they say, well, what about this? And I didn't have an answer. And, and my own personal questions, a lot of them were sort of social justice things, you know. Not all of them, but I just didn't have answers. And I was so frustrated. And I remember I was staying with some friends. They had a, a house back in the, the mountains that was just a dirt road to access it. And I went out late one night by myself, laid on the hood of my truck on that dirt road and looked up at the starry night. And it's the first time in my life that I ever remember praying. And I said, God, if Jesus is your son, if this whole salvation bit is real, what about this? And I asked a question and I listened and I didn't hear anything. And I started to cry and I asked him another question and I heard nothing and I got angry and I yelled another question at God. And then I yelled another question at God and I'm crying and yelling at God and the heavens are brass, nothing. I slid off the hood of the truck and wiped my tears off and went in, flopped on the couch and went to sleep. <clears throat> and the next morning, something amazing happened to me. God spoke to me. I don't know how I knew it was God, but I intuitively recognized his voice. I heard it in my heart, and I, as sure as I've known everything, I knew God had spoken to me. He said, I want you to go to Ramona's house. That was the mother of the little kid. I said, okay. So I get in my truck, and I drive, and, you know, they let me in. We're standing in the kitchen. I go, where are you going? They're going to a mission, you know, next town over, a street mission. I'm standing there. God speaks to me a second time. I'm standing in their kitchen, and I know it's God. He said, I want you to go with them. And instead of, you know, obeying, I argued just in my heart. I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I said, God, I'll tell you what, just in my heart, I said, I'll make you a deal. If they invite me, I'll go. Immediately, Ramona wheels around, says, will you come with us? I said, okay. <laughs> so we come to the street mission. It's filled with derelicts, drug addicts, alcoholics. That's pretty much at home sitting on the front row. I got a skin tight pair of bright orange pants with yellow stripes running down the side. I hadn't cut my hair in probably seven years, really long. I had a long beard. I used to braid my beard and wear feathers in my hair. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the front row. I got my arms crossed with the bless me if you can attitude. And I've never been in a situation, I've never been to a church or anything before, and they're gonna have testimonies. I have no idea what that means. And they had this big, you know, like desk up there in the front, and this little fire plug of a woman comes, she almost disappears behind it. And instead of giving a testimony, she starts to quote word for word the first question I'd asked God the night before, laying on the hood of my truck back in the mountains. And then she shared the answer from the Bible. And I started to cry again. And then a guy got up after her and he quoted almost verbatim the second question I'd asked God the night before, laying on the hood of my truck by myself in the mountains. And they shared the answer from the Bible and now I'm sobbing. 
Another guy gets up. Instead of giving a testimony, he quotes the questions that I shouted at God. He shares the answer from the Bible. And I, I'm, I'm undone now. I'm on the front row. I'm, I'm sobbing uncontrollably. I realize I've been set up. <laughs> I suddenly realized the whole thing was true. There was certainly a lot that I didn't understand, but I knew that Jesus Christ was real. And I knew salvation was real. They gave an invitation. I was the only one that responded. And this big guy in the front, he just grabbed me. I cried into this, this stranger's chest for about 20 minutes. I couldn't stop crying. People laid hands on me, prayed for me from that day to this day. It's like 47 years. I have not had another illegal drug in my body. I got set free that night. And I want to tell you, <clears throat> Listen, he's more real to me today than he's ever been. I'm in love with him more today than I've ever been before. He's real. And if you're here today, you may have come by, you're lonesome. Maybe you came with friends, maybe family. Maybe you've been checking things out for a while. Listen, he wants you. He knows you. It's time for you to come. I'm going to give an invitation in a minute, pretty simple invitation. In a minute, I'm going to ask you if you want Jesus in your life to stand to your feet. And I want every eye open and everybody looking around. Somebody says, well, why would you do that? Well, I think that it'll help you. The Bible talks about this thing called the fear of man. It means I got my peace in your head. That I'm so worried about what you think of me or how you're going to interpret what I say and do that it restricts me and binds me. And that's what the Bible says, the fear of man brings a snare, it ties you up. You'll never be able to live out of your heart like you should as long as you're worried about what somebody else thinks of you. And I know for sure, as long as we have the fear of man, we will never serve God like we should. And by standing up when I ask you to, in a sense, you'll be saying, you know what, God, I care more about what you think than anybody else. And if the whole world wants to look at me right now, let them look, I don't care. It'll help you, but it's in a way, you bring honor to God by doing that. And then once you stand up, I'll have everyone else stand with you and we'll pray a prayer together. Now, if you've, if you've never accepted Jesus, maybe you're like, like me. You know, it's funny, I married a farm girl from Wisconsin. This, this girl has never smoked a cigarette in her life. I married Miss Goody Two Shoes. <laughs> Opposite end of the spectrum is me, but one day, and she was always the you know, teacher's Head and that the whole thing was just like little Miss Perfect. But one day she realized she was just as lost as somebody like me. You might be that upstanding citizen. You don't mind paying your taxes. You don't, you know, yell at the kids. You try and do what's right, but we don't get into heaven based on our good works. So whether you're somebody you can relate to my story or somebody more to Janet's or in between, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if today as you sit in here, you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, you've had an encounter with Jesus, you know he's real, but your life is very incongruent with that right now. You're living a double life and you know if Jesus returned right now, you wouldn't be ready to meet him. I've got good news, prodigal son, prodigal daughter. He's not mad at you but it's time for you to come home. Time for you to go all in and get your fire back because the longer you stay out there on the perimeter, one foot in the rowboat, one foot in the dock, 
your heart becomes more and more calloused. You become more and more insensitive to the Holy Spirit and the things of God. And if you're a prodigal, I wanna invite you to come back and to stand to your feet as well. So with that, um, you wanna say yes to Jesus, you're willing to go all in, bring some honor to God by just standing and not caring what anybody thinks, go ahead and stand up if that's you. Just stand to your feet. I love it. Yes. So good. All right. Now, if somebody else, if your heart is doing this, yet, go ahead and stand up, okay? All right, everybody stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Girls, tie your heart around these words. It's just hand to Jesus, okay? Everybody put a hand on your heart. Let's pray out loud. Say, oh God, I come to you right now. With all of my heart, I believe. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. Jesus, I ask you now, come into my life. All I am and all I have, I put it in your hands, Jesus. And I call you Lord. Amen. There's one more thing we just want to do quickly. If you're sick in your body, obviously we, we talked about this nobleman's son. The greater lesson is the spiritual one, but we can't overlook the, the basic lesson that, that the word of Jesus healed him. He's still a healer today. And if you're sick and have need of healing, just lift a hand up if you would. Just lift it and keep it up high. If you, if you need healing, just lift your hand up. Look around you. If anybody has their hand up, just put your hand on their shoulder, on their back. Maybe even turn around. Anybody needs healing. I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to just lead in a prayer. We're going to trust God to touch you. Pastor. Lord, we just thank you for every person in this room who has need of healing. Lord, we, we thank you that Jesus Christ made a way so that we could receive not only salvation, but we could receive healing in our body. We thank you for those stripes that Jesus suffered. We thank you, Lord, that that is the, the, the sign. It's a, it's a mark that shows us that the, the, what was needed to purchase our healing has been made available. And I'm reminded, Jesus, of what you said to pray. You said, pray uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, it's your will that what we will experience in heaven we can begin to experience on earth. Lord, someday in heaven, we're not gonna have pain. We're not gonna have sickness. We're not gonna have disease. And so I, I, in Jesus' name, I command these bodies to come into alignment and agreement with the word and the will of God. I thank you that right now they supernaturally burst forth with health. Lord, we don't care uh, what is going on in their body. We don't care by what, what name the thing may be, no matter how big or how small it may be. Lord, we thank you that every name bows to the name of Jesus Christ, the name above every name. And so Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you for healing power being made manifest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to go ahead and invite the altar ministry team to come down at this time. Maybe today you've, you've heard this message and God is beginning to start stirring something in your heart. Maybe you're thinking about somebody in your world, in your life, that is away from God, that doesn't know God. You, you, know, you don't know where they would go. If their life was to end, if they were to have a Leo moment, you don't know where they would end up. But they, God's kind of placed them on your heart today. And it's something I, I really think God has been 
stirring in us as a church. In fact, this week in midweek prayer, we spent the whole time just praying for the lost. And what we're doing is we're contending for those who are away from the Lord. We're contending with a kingdom of darkness that wants to blind eyes and keep them from the things of God. We're contending with that through our position of authority that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're making mention of these names of these people in our prayers. And so if if you're here today and you know somebody that's away from the Lord, I want to encourage you to come down and to make mention of them and join your faith. We want to join our faith with your faith and believe God and pray over them that they will come to the saving grace of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'm expecting a lot of people because I know there's a lot of people in here that know people that are away from God. So if that's you, I want you to start making your way down. Come down to one of these altar ministers. We want to pray with you today. Make your way down. If there's some extra members of our team, you probably need to make your way up here to help us. I'm expecting a lot of people to come down this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe prayer matters. Do you, church? I believe prayer matters. Do you, church? I believe that as we're doing this, I believe that God can begin to do stuff. He can begin to start making creating moments, changing circumstances, bringing people across their path. You may say, well, I've talked to him and I've said something to him. Well, it may not be your words. It's, that's the ones that bring them to Jesus. But God can bring somebody else across their path. He can bring circumstances across their path that help them to know that God is real, that God loves them, that he died for them, that Jesus made a way for them. I want to encourage you, if you're standing out there, would you just extend your hands up here and be praying for these people? Lord God, we lift up these names that are being called before you right now. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love them, that you suffer for them, that it's your desire that none should perish, none should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that all would be saved, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for bringing people across the people that are away from God's path, bringing bringing, uh, circumstances across their path. Some of you young people, you know you got kids in your school that don't know Jesus. They're away from God. They need salvation. They need you to make mention of their name today. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to save those who are away from the Lord. Let's just intercede for them. This is not a time to check out. This is one of the most important things we can do. We want to build the kingdom of God. We need to bring people home. There's people that are away that need to come home. Let's pray for them. Let's intercede for them. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.